Welcome to another edition of Patriotic Pulpit. There was an interesting story that came out last week regarding a protest led by what is called the Seven Circles Alliance at a Burning Man festival in the Black Rock Desert of Nevada. Now, the story made the news because the Indian police, because it was on reservation territory, pushed aside the crowds and pushed aside, ran over some of the barriers that they had made, that is the Seven Circles Alliance protesters had made, pushed them aside and handled them rather heavily. But who is this Seven Circles Alliance? What is this Burning Man Festival? I didn't know much about the Seven Circles Alliance until I did some research on it. The Burning Man Festival I'd heard about many years before because I knew a person who went over to the Burning Man Festival and it was kind of interesting. So let's look at some of this. First of all, the Seven Circles Alliance claimed that their blockade was to draw attention to the fact that capitalism is unable to address climate change and the ecological breakdown. They tell us that the protest that they're doing at Burning Man was because they said Burning Man is detrimental to the claimed values that the Burning Man Festival event actually portrays, especially because of the carbon emissions that continue to rise despite government corporate commitments to reduce those CO2 emissions. So that's Seven Circles' statement regarding it. But all of it's very interesting because it does demonstrate that the left will not hesitate to eat its own because the Burning Man Festival is a leftist event. It is basically a hedonistic festival after the order of the Woodstock Festival of yesteryear. Seven Circles Alliance is a leftist organization about climate change being caused by humans. All of course is which is not, nothing provable at all on that one. So let's, let's talk about the Burning Man event. I thought it was interesting also that so many news stories talking about the police that, that ran over some of the blockade that was set up by the Seven Circles Alliance and the protesters and caused the huge traffic jam because there was one highway getting into the Burning Man event. But there was really not much story about what is this Burning Man event? What, what is involved in it? Well, to see that, let's back up for a few moments and look at a, a city that was in the New Testament age, that is in the first century, and that city is Antioch of Syria. Antioch of Syria was located on the Orontes River, and therefore it is called Antioch on the Orontes. Antioch is interesting to New Testament uh, students because one of the first churches that is outside of the city of Jerusalem was established in Antioch of Syria. But the city of Antioch had been built up by the Seleucids. That, those were the kings that came out of Alexander the Great's period of time. After that period, then you have the Seleucids in Syria and you have the Ptolemies in Egypt. Well, the Seleucids had built up the city of Antioch, and it was a rapidly growing city, and one of the reasons was because it was right on the coastline of Syria. As a matter of fact, the seaport called Seleucia, you could just travel a couple of miles to the seaport, and you had access to the entire Mediterranean, and the Mediterranean had entire access to the city of Antioch. On the eastern side of Antioch, there was a a pathway, or I should say a, a roadway, that cut through the mountains from the east between the Taurus Mountains on one side, the Lebanon Mountains on the other side, and that made it easily accessible. But it also meant that the population 
of Antioch was a worthless rabble of Greeks and Orientals that plied their time in nothing greater than frivolous amusements of the theater. That's what one ancient writer said about it. This was the prime occupation of the lives. They had a passion for races. They had passions for ridiculous parties. They had passions for quarrels. And it was a big disgrace to the entire world, such as Burning Man has become and is and was really in its inauguration in the 1960s for America. But back to Antioch for a moment. Added to Antioch and the problems that were there is the fact that they had oriental superstitions and impostures that were there. Chaldean astrologers, for example, and they found their most credulous disciples in Antioch. They had passions for horoscopes. There were Jewish impostors, Simon Magus from Acts chapter 8, or Elamus the Sorcerer from Acts chapter 13. Those kind of people found their opportunities here. But of all the cities that had such abandonment of behavior, it was Antioch. Whether it be Rome, Corinth, Athens, wherever we're talking about, the city that was probably the worst as far as reputation for vice and paganism was Antioch. It was extraordinary. Heathenism abounded. The suburb of the city, for example, had a a suburb district called Daphne. It had groves of trees. Worshippers would go there to do licentious things before a statue of Apollo. It was a sanctuary for people who wanted to have a festival of vice. That's why it was called the Heathen Queen. But the, the remarkable thing about it is when you read this history, you're reading exactly what's taking place in Black Rock City, Nevada with the Burning Man event because it is a disgrace, a disgraceful event from its inception to America. So let's look at it. And especially it's disgraceful and worrisome because it does represent a cross-section of America as to what what is happening to America regarding not only the lack of morals that we portray, but also a religious, superstitious, paganistic, witchcraft belief that we have. Let's think about Burning Man for just a few moments. Larry Harvey was one of the brainchilds of the Burning Man event. Larry Harvey was born in 1948. He died in 2018. He was said to be as listed as a philanthropist, an activist, and an artist. And he was a co-founder along with his friend Jerry James of the Burning Man event. Now, the Burning Man event started in 1986, we are told, on the evening of the summer solstice. An effigy of a man was taken to the San Francisco's Baker Beach and set on fire. A small crowd gathered, and soon the burning of the man became an annual event. And so over the next several years, attendees grew more and more until they had about 800 people. 1990, in collaboration with the San Francisco Cacophony Society, the event moved to Black Rock Desert, Nevada, and it took place over the Labor Day weekend, as has been going on this past Labor Day weekend. So, by the way, what is the cacophony society? Cacophony is a word that simply means this discordant ideas. It would be as if everybody that's in an orchestra would bring a different song and a different instrument. And they were not really, they were not really adept at playing the song. They would just squeak out, squeak out their songs, and everybody playing a different song. It's just disruptive noise-making, and that's cacophony. Well, that's exactly what these men, such as Larry Harvey, Jerry James, were a part of a cacophony society. And so from the cacophony society, they began the Burning Man event. 1997, there are six of the main organizers of that Burning Man on the 
on the beach there outside in San Francisco, formed what was called Black Rock City Limited Liability Company to manage the event, and Harvey was the executive director. That was a position he held until his death. Harvey was also president of the Black Rock Art Foundation. That's a nonprofit art grant foundation for promoting interactive, collaborative public art installations and communities outside of Black Rock City. Now also, just backing up a little bit more into the history of it, Cacophony Society, of which Larry Harvey was a member, came out of what is called the Dada Movement. D-A-D-A. What is the Dada Movement? That was an informal international art movement with participants in Europe, North America during the World War I period. Reading about the Dada Movement, you think, well, what exactly are they about? What's the purpose? Why do they, why do they exist? Why did they exist? Well, they said that they were in protest against the bourgeois, nationalist, and colonialist interest. Okay, right here. Right here, you know that they really come out of the Marxist-Communist mold. That's the way, of course, Marxists and communists always talk about freedom in America. That's a bourgeois society, colonialist. Okay, there you are. So basically, it's a communist-inspired movement, Dada movement, then the the Cacophony Society. Let's talk a little bit about the Cacophony Society for just a moment. It's simply an American organization described on their website as a randomly gathered network of free spirits united in the pursuit of experiences beyond the pale of mainstream society. Started in 1986, but they were about promoting anarchy. That is, just throw off the yoke of society, throw off the yoke of order. We want anarchy. So they dressed themselves in costumes and they did pranks in public places. That's the Cacophony Society. They even celebrated, I thought this was How ridiculous, but it does show where the mind is. They celebrated a day called the Pee Wee Herman Day, commemorating the day that Paul Rubens was arrested in a pornographic theater. All right, well, back to Larry Harvey. Larry Harvey called himself a spiritual leader. I thought this was interesting because, at least his friends called him that, he's the chief philosophic officer of the Burning Man Project, and his friends and companions called him a spiritual leader. Because this is the Burning Man events all about anti-spirituality, or at least I should say it this way, anti-Christianity. They're anti-God. It's about all about paganism, witchcraft, etc. And, and the people who go there, are called they call themselves, the disciples call themselves burners. But Larry Harvey was said to be a spiritual leader. Basically, it's a new age type of movement. He was also called a humanist. That ought to tell you a lot about where Larry Harvey was as far as his orientation. Humanism, that is, of course, anti-God. Absolutely anti-God. He's the co-founder, of course, of that event. He died when he was 70 years old. So, regarding the Burning Man event, what, what exactly takes place there? This is what they were protesting. This is what the Seven Circles Alliance was protesting. Let's talk about the Burning Man event. We'll do, do that when we come back, just right after this break. Now, as I pointed out in the, in the first segment of this program, that the news stories that are being carried regarding the protesters from the Seven Seven Circles Alliance group at the Black Rock Desert in Nevada are protesting the people that are coming to the Burning Man event. But let's, we talked about the background to that Burning Man event, but let's talk about what actually occurs at Burning Man event, just to show you that it is really a festival of vice 
debauchery, wickedness, nakedness, sex. It's just Woodstock on steroids, basically. The New York Times writers itself describe the Burning Man event or compares it to a week-long cyber hippie carnival or a fringe culture fest, a hallucinogenic affair, a full-scale countercultural declaration of independence. The internet made flesh. Another statement is that the Whitney Biennial re-imaged as a rave party. They tell us that last year's celebration, this was written two or three years ago, drew roughly 70,000 participants who are free to bring their and build their own arts projects, perform their own music, dress any way they liked. They could have drag races that run on foot. They dress in drag. They go nude and many people run around naked. They dance and chant, burn the man during the big finale. And the big finale is when they have a skeletal five-story tall wood and neon man-shaped statue filled with fireworks and he set ablaze. Now, here's something else about the Burning Man event. It's really, it really, of course, has lent itself, as you might, as you could well imagine, to the homosexual movement. And because one of the things, one of the principles that Larry Harvey said that he wanted to have established was radical self-expression. What is radical self-expression? Radical, radical self-expression is basically hedonism. There's no holes barred. There's nothing right. There's nothing wrong. And so the homosexual movement has really jumped into the entire Burning Man event and made much with it. As a matter of fact, they have an, they have an organization or several organizations related to the homosexual movement. For example, they have what was called an Avalon Village from 2002 to 2008. It was called the first Gayborhood, that is homosexual Avalon Village. Avalon Village has separate camps that were called Fairyland and Astro Pups and Sacrifactory, which of course they're trying to mock religion in that one. Thin Air Lounge, Quixote Cabaret, Vietnamese Iced Coffee Camp, and on and on it goes. But one of the one of the camps that they had in the homosexual portion of it was called the Jiffy Lube, and Jiffy Lube, of course, was an was a one of the camps that they that the homosexuals had in their portion of the Burning Man event. And they had a Jiffy Lube incident in 2001. What happened was that the queer camps were organized on the playa. Beginning, that was 1996. They erected a statue of two men having homosexual relations right in the midst. You think, see, you see, this is, this is nothing but hedonism, debauchery. But someone must have complained. The authorities got involved. But what is interesting about the story is that Larry Harvey finally felt that he had to say something. So he wrote about it on, on his blog site. And he pointed out that the statue and all that it represented does not violate community standards because he points out that people walk around naked all the time. One of the things is the, the, the Gaberhood, the Avalon Village, complete with opium villages, opium tents, lounges with drag queens serving, all of that, he says, all of that, he says, does not violate community standards. So you know exactly where they're going with all of this. You can see that. One of the statements he makes is, we want radical self-expression. I mentioned that a moment ago. What is radical self-expression? Well, he, according to his own pen, it arises from the unique gifts of the individual. No one other than the individual or collaborating group can determine its content. It is offered as a gift to others in the spirit that givers should respect the rights and liberties of the recipient. 
whatever that may all mean. It includes, of course, anything that the imagination can participate in. And that's exactly what we have. We have exactly going on in the Black Rock Desert, exactly what we read in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, where there was no king in Israel, and therefore every man did that was right in his own eyes. It's a, it is a statement to say that there are no moral boundaries at all. <clears throat> Let's talk about the Seven Circles Alliance for a moment. I said at the beginning of this that all of this is about the left eating its own because the Burning Man event is absolutely a leftist event, hedonistic event. But how about the Seven Circles Alliance? According to their website, they say we are a coalition of diverse groups that employ direct action to bring class consciousness to the climate movement. Now, let's just stop here for a moment. What is class consciousness? Well, that is, that is of course, is communistic talk. There's no individual rights. There's no individual uh, individual rights that I might have before God, obviously, but it is simply class movement, class rights, and they say that to, to force political and the, and the economic system to change through a decolonial lens. All right, let's kind of unwind some of that for a moment. That means there's no persuasion, there's no debating, there's no reasoning with people. We're just going to use force. You don't like it? We're going to we're going to charge you, we're going to be after you with civil disobedience and that's exactly what it's all about a communistic movement to force economic change because they say well we are losing the planet all of that is so much propaganda that the climate is being is changing and is changing because of the freedom that Americans have enjoyed but it's simply the the crowbar that communists today use in order to bring about the communist objectives so the seven circles alliance tells us that our objective is to unite labor unions climate scientists student bodies and socialist organizations with a general public to instigate an international general strike to confront the elephant in the room capitalism so right there you see it basically could have been written by Karl Marx. Socialism attacks freedom. C capitalism is freedom, but they want to attack freedom. So they go on to tell us to evolve past the market-based limitations we are facing, we must decentralize private capital and its henchmen, the corporations. Then continuing in their statement, this is from the Seven Circles Alliance, through confronting the individualization of systemic problems, shifting the responsibility away from the individual and back to the system, we will be able to unite all divided factions to rise up for system change and fight against decades of narrative engineering. So you see, it's all about the system. It sounds like the hippie movement. Indeed, as the New York Times put it so many years ago regarding Burning Man, and that is it's all against the system. They're against the man, and they're going to try to break down the entire system, the economic system that we have. So you have on one hand the Burning Man, which is hedonism gone to seed. And then you have the Seven Circles Alliance, and they're protesting that latter protesting the former, blockading the road, and that's what's going on. It's all, all so much wickedness going on in America. Now, regarding the Burning Man, back to the Burning Man for just a moment. There was an article that appeared in Christian News several years ago, and it quoted other sources regarding what takes place at Burning Man. And just to, to give maybe a more graphic picture about some of it, it tells us the event has been called a beacon of hope. <clears throat> 
for humanity and a spiritual journey, and a literal orgy of wanton sexual encounters and substance abuse. Those are two perspectives, they say, have been written about the burning man. And these two perspectives may seem to be dichotomous, that is, they don't, have, don't meet in the middle at all, but that tension could best be the explanation of what burning man is all about, the good and the bad. The event has attracted the attention of tech entrepreneurs and businessmen like Amazon co-founder, CEO Jeff Bezos, Google co-founder Larry Page, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, all of, all of course, who are big liberals. And they, in 2002, that is, I think, Mark Zuckerberg in 2012, rather, flew in on a helicopter, pitched a tent, handed out sandwiches, and then helicoptered away. Well, of course, the Seven Circles Alliance don't like that, so they're all after him as well. But really... The bottom line is this a drug-addled debauchery. Burning Man has attracted a great deal of mainstream establishment interest, but the anything-goes reputation still makes it a source for great controversy. The Verge magazine refers to Burning Man as a drug-addled event. Those words are not lightly chosen. In an article about debauchery in the desert, the Daily Mail writes of the hallucinogenic drugs on tap, that compels burners to dance the night away on top of the famed mutant vehicles while completely being naked. The Huffington Post, no less, writer tells us that he tried to rent a car to take him to Burning Man. An employee at the rental agency expressed belief that the event was just a lot of naked people running around doing drugs. The Daily Mail article reported that the FBI had been using Burning Man events to test the prototype intelligence collection technologies. And the FBI says that most significant threats presented by the cultural and artisan event are concerns of crowd control and illegal drug use by burners. The New York Times went on to say that the public perception is of 50,000 stoned, half-naked hippies being representative of Burning Man is mostly accurate. Drugs here are technically illegal, but are easier to find than Halloween candy on October 31, writes the New York Times. And on and on it goes, the earth-worshipping pagans migrating from Canada, Brazil, Germany, Russia, 25 other countries, all to this corner in the Black Rock Desert of Nevada, a new age techno-fest known as the Burning Man. That's what it's all about. It absolutely is, it is a frightening event because of the place where they are and the beliefs that they hold. Here's one of the things, one man that attended, and he made this, these comments regarding Burning Man. He said, the Burning Man is a no-holds-barred, new-age, Woodstock-style festival where neo-pagans, Wiccans, transvestite entertainers, and backslidden Christians go to trance, perform rituals, burn sacrifices to pagan gods and goddesses, dance in the nude, engage in sex, and otherwise express themselves and become one with Gaia. Gay, of course, being Mother Earth. But not only that, but they mock Jesus Christ. Attendees set up theme camps such as Lost Vegas or Motel 666 or Crucifixion with a Celebrity where one can purchase a picture of a crucified obese Elvis. Hamburgers are sold by devil, worship, devil worshippers at the McSatan Cafe. T-shirts are available that proudly proclaim, Praise the Whore. The Burning Man itself is a 40-foot-high effigy of a spirit caveman. 
sacred to local Indians, supposedly, and New Agers, which of course would be the case. And they torch it together with just about everything else at the close of the festivities. George Otis, Jr., president of the Sentinel Group, a Christian research agency, attended the Burning Man Festival with a colleague. Here's what George Otis wrote about his experience. On Saturday night, the hell-themed festival reached its crescendo in the form of a drama. These people were literally celebrating the fact that one day they would enter into hell. To stimulate their journey, the camp's center stage was transformed into the vestibule of hell. The guest of honor was none other than Papa Satan. As the lecherous Papa Satan bowed in mock chains before a placard reading, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. See, the mocking Christianity all the way. A group called Idiot Flesh, supposedly Christians, dressed as hooded executioners, began to play discordant dirge accompanied by flashing strobes. When the crowd started its torchlight procession towards the gates of hell and an eerie sculpted castle called the City of Dis, that would be D-I-S, I sensed an unmistakable chill in the air. Our march had been joined by unseen malevolent guests. Nudist and moving sea of devil banners moved around us. At the tri-center, our tri-tower city of Dis, our descent into the inferno reached a demonic sanctuary. While massive loudspeakers pumped out a hellish bass tone accompanied by tormented screams, people dressed as demonic insects celebrated by copulating with other captured souls. It was a scene that looked as if it had been plucked from a horrific nightmare. Mesmerized, writes Otis, by the evocative music, the performers began to chant, Devil's Delight, Fire Tonight. Wood piles inside the towers of DIS were ignited, causing orange flames to belch forth from the eyes and mouths of demonic gargoyles built into the turrets. As the heat became more intense, the entourage danced around the towers. Satan had defeated the church. Otis continued the report by confessing, I had to remind myself that what I had witnessed at the Burning Man Festival was happening right here in the United States, not in the temples of India, not in the deserts of Sinai, right here in America. That is, that is not only hedonistic, but it is decidedly and pointedly anti-Christian, anti-Christ. It's anti-biblical. And the frightening thing about this is that it represents a certain cross-section of America. That's what's happening in America. Burning man. From burning man to ceiling fans. That's what we're going to talk about next. One of the great things about America... And the reason that America has lasted so long as a nation, longer than any other nation as far as under the same government, any other nation in the history of the world, is because of the genius of our founding fathers in crafting a constitution built upon the Declaration of Independence that actually limited the powers of the federal government. And it limited those powers of the federal government to about 20 of them, 20 powers, as a matter of fact, in Article, chapter, uh, Article 1, Section 8, started to say chapter, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, we have approximately 20 powers specifically assigned to the federal government and 20 alone. James Madison, the father of the Constitution, speaking for the entire core of constitutional framers, 
tells us that the Constitution itself granted only these 20 powers and no more to the federal government, but the rest of the powers were left to the states. And that's exactly how the Tenth Amendment reads, that all the other powers that may be granted by to a government are reserved to state governments alone. That is, the people, we the people, gave permission, gave powers, certain powers, to the federal government, and only 20 of them, and the rest of those we've left to the state governments and or local governments. But the liberals, the socialists, the communists, the progressives, they don't like that. They want power, they want control. And so for the past 100 years, power has been gravitating to Washington, D.C. over the long haul. And after one plank after the other has been laid out, as a matter of fact, beginning in Woodrow Wilson's administration, they began eradicating some of these. It got on steroids in the time of Franklin Roosevelt, exacerbated more in the period of Lyndon Johnson, and has been going downhill ever since. And so power had been gravitating and being given to Washington, D.C. So an example of that is the Department of Energy. The Department of Energy was established in 1977 by Democrat basically a socialist, Jimmy Carter. Now, what's the problem here? The problem here is just as all of these other areas and all these other departments and all of these other agencies, the Democrats have always tried to grab them and bring them to D.C. And so you can't, you can't argue with D.C., Washington, D.C. You can't argue with the federal government. So the Department of Energy, frightening prospect, established as a federal agency in 1977. Well, they have all the, all the mechanisms in place, that is, the socialists do, who are now in control of our government with the Biden administration. And so that's exactly what now is taking place. The Biden administration, via the Department of Energy, is now cranking out the rules and regulations of how we are to live. He's telling you what kind of light bulbs to put in your house, what kind of ceiling fans you can use. He's telling you what kind of generators you can have in the backyard He's telling you, this is from Joe Biden, the executive branch. This is, not even, this is not even close to constitutional setup. This is exactly what's happening to America. So in the Epic Times this last week, the, re, the story reads this way. The U.S. Department of Energy has proposed new rules that would impose energy efficiency standards on ceiling fans. Following similar restrictions unveiled against other household appliances such as gas stoves and portable gas generators. That's what Biden's after. He wants to reach into everybody's home via the Department of Energy and tell you what kind of ceiling fan to have. He wants to reach into your home and tell you you can't have that gas stove. The DOE rule proposed in June requires ceiling fans to become more energy efficient. You know, there's this climate crisis supposedly, and therefore we all have got to change it. We don't have, we don't want to hear anything else about it. We, there's a climate emergency, you caused it. And so Biden is going to make you change the way you live. The agency estimates that consumers using the standard fan could save up to $39.84 over the life lifespan of the appliance with his new measures. So wow, you're going to save $40. A ceiling fan typically lasts for about six to 10 years. Around 85 million United States households 
are estimated to using at least one ceiling fan with a quarter of those using four or more. But here's the interesting thing about ceiling fans in houses, and that is that they have been used and are continued to be used as an alternative, a cheap alternative to air conditioners because air conditioning with the Freon, and now of course, well, yep, there you go again, the federal government through the EPA is telling you what kind of coolant you can have in your in your air conditioning, and so they're beginning to strangle the air conditioning. So as an alternative, because it's so expensive now when the federal government gets involved. So now as an alternative, people are turning to ceiling fans or fans in the household. But now Biden says, no, you can't use those ceiling fans either. That's what's causing climate change, the climate crisis. So the DOE is adamant, pursuit of helping Americans save your $4 per year on the electricity with the new guidelines. Same thing regarding gas stoves. Same thing regarding all your portable power, uh, gas power generators. DOE, the proposal was to save consumers 13 cents per month. Break it all down. Talk about gas cooking. That's gas, gas stove products. They want to save you 13 cents a month on utility cost of this. But it's not simply they're saying, well, we want to help you out. We're giving you a suggestion. No, they're they don't come out with suggestions. They're making people do it. So at nine cents a month, the projected savings will come to about $1.08 per year. And over a decade, that amounts to $10.80 per year in savings. That's what the home appliance manufacturers said about the changes that the Biden administration is proposing. But think about the increased costs. doesn't matter whether he's making suggestions or saving you money at all. The truth of the matter is he's costing you money. Let's go back to the ceiling fans for just a moment. The ceiling fan regulations. The Department of Energy calculates that the manufacturers may have to shell out $86.6 million per year in increased equipment costs. Now think about that. This is from the Department of Energy, the government agency itself, telling you that these manufacturers of ceiling fans are going to, they're going to have to pay $86.6 million a year in increased equipment costs. Well, this, the DOE secretary, Jennifer Granholm, she tells us in an August 24th letter that that's exactly what's going to take place. So what is that going to be? What's, what's going to happen here? Well, just as always happens when government gets involved, they're going to put people out of business. And that's exactly what we're going to see. As a matter of fact, Grant Holmes' letter even confesses that. She said this rule would require numerous small business fan manufacturers to redesign their products, may put between 10 to, 10 to, 10 to 30% of small businesses, ceiling fan manufacturers, out of business. Now, that's Jennifer Granholm said, okay, we may put up to 30%. Now, of course, you know the government, when they're, when they're bringing down some mandates that are going to hurt consumers, they always kind of, they always underestimate it. So it's going to be putting out, I'm going to say about 50% of fan manufacturers out of business. That's what her letter said. So what does that mean? That means you're going to have less choice. You're not going to be able to go to the, to the store, to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever you might buy or Walmart buy a ceiling fan and have a number of choices, you're going to have less choice, higher prices, 
That's going to be from the manufacturer. It's going to be passed on to you. This is exactly what the government's all about. It's, it's banning consumer choice, and the, the effect, it affects the choices that you have as, as a consumer. Now, one of the things that's so remarkable about this, to me, what the gov- when the government speaks, and that is, the, a, the, just hear this statement. This is, to me, well, I'll just read the statement. The DOE spokesperson justified these newly suggested ceiling fan regulations, pointing out that these proposed standards, which are required by Congress, there's a problem also, wouldn't take effect until 2028. And they tell us that we'll give Americans more energy efficient options to choose from. All right, let's think about this. In the DOE secretary, Jennifer Granholm's letter, she said it's going to put up to 30% of fan manufacturers out of business with the new regulations, and the other ones are going to have to pay $86.6 million in cost in upgrading their equipment to meet the standards that are set by the federal government. And yet, at the same time, they say this is going to give Americans more energy-efficient options to choose from. You talk about the double-speak the lies that are continually told by this administration, by government administrations. She she goes on to say it will save hardworking taxpayers up to $369 million per year. It's absolutely the opposite of this. It's cutting, just think about it. It's It's just elementary school economics. You take out the number of choices, you cut them down, and you pass on the cost, and you and you demand that these manufacturers upgrade their equipment with higher cost? Is it going to be more costly to the consumer and cutting down the number of businesses? Is it going to be better choices for the consumer or is it less? This is this is the thing with the Biden administration. They you know, he stumbles around and drools around as as if you know it, it's just in a sad to watch, but he acts like we're all on the same page as he is. This is absolutely ridiculous. I appreciated this Republican from Oklahoma, Representative Stephanie Bice. She raised concerns about how the measures would affect consumer choice and appliance affordability. She says, we are currently in a period of hot summer weather, but also a time of high inflation. It is unconscionable that your department would seek to limit the options of the American people to stay cool in their own homes at a time like this. She wrote that to Jennifer Granholm on August 25. Ms. Bice goes on to say, as I write this letter, the current temperatures here in Oklahoma City are 103 degrees Fahrenheit. Access to affordable cooling options during the summer months is a serious matter. I strongly oppose this rule, or I oppose this proposed rule, and urge you to withdraw it entirely. Well, <clears throat> these kind of heavy-handed regulations, the drive-up costs, they drive up consumer prices, they drive and they drive down the consumer choices, and they impose burdens on small businesses. But the real culprit, the real culprit is the Biden administration and the Department of Energy. This is one reason why I appreciate Vivek Ramaswamy so much. He is so bold as to say we need to remove all of these departments from the federal government's oversight Because if we want to enjoy freedom, if we want to have freedom, if we want to regain freedom, we've got to get rid of these, including the Department of Energy, 
We've got to get rid of the Department of Education. We've got to get rid of the Department of Justice and overturn it as it is now at least. But Vivek Ramaswamy tells us that. One other note regarding him. I know that Ramaswamy right now is in this battle with um, some of the other candidates for president. But I think it's interesting to notice that he's the one who speaks out boldly on these topics, tells us just like Trump did, just like Trump does. We need to get rid of these departments out of the federal government's hands. If we want freedom in America, this is what we'll do. But that's what's coming down the pike regarding American freedom and the lack thereof from the Biden administration right now.